listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. It's a little cold out there, isn't it? So. <laughs> it's a book, it's a story, it's an invitation. So there's the outline. Now you can go to sleep. Um, I, gave all, I gave away all the secrets. So um, we're starting this new sermon series called What is the Bible? And maybe when you drove in, you might have saw the banner that said questioning the Bible. And don't worry, we are not like trying to decide if there's another thing we should focus everything we do here on. So, um, but, but questions that are commonly asked of the Bible. And the first one that we're going to cover today is just what is the Bible? Well, it's a book. It's a story, and it's an invitation. It's not just any book. Um, the best-selling book of all time, if that means something. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of bands that have best-selling records of all time. But that doesn't, really, that doesn't really mean a whole lot. But the Bible, as a book, over 5 billion copies in print. Um, additionally, about 80 million copies are printed every year. Obviously, there are, um, there are other um, languages and translations still being put out yearly. Um, you know, one of the global outreach partners that we have um, is is talking about the Illumination Project, where we finish by 2030, where there's a there's a Bible translation in every single language across the globe, which is something that no other book, honestly, is trying to do. Um, so it is an influential book. There's a 2015 survey in the U.S. found that nine out of ten American households have a Bible in them. In the house, nine out of 10, that's a pretty good rate at 90% of households in America having a Bible there. Some of you would say, well, it needs to be 10. And some of you have 10 Bibles in your house. So maybe we can like skew the numbers a little bit. Um, It outpaces all other books in religious, religious categories or not in sales, printed copies and languages. It's had mass influences on generations. It's given people hope. Um, and hope to so many people. Um, some of the first schools were actually formed in this country based on the Bible. It was back in a day when, when kids would work six days a week, no matter what their age was. And they decided that, um, <clears throat> I said was, talking about school, no matter what their age was. Um, no matter how old they were, um, you could, uh, you know, they would work the whole time. And then and people started realizing, like, these kids need to learn. And so on that seventh day of the week, on that Sunday, they started what was called Sunday school, teaching kids to read and write from the Bible, from this book. Many hospital systems were founded by, um, you know, we, we, we know St. John's and St. Mary's and St. Luke's, founded on principles found in this book. Not to mention the multi-billion dollar industry that exists in Bible merchandise. You can get sweatshirts or coffee mugs or, or printings to go on your walls or pictures and paintings and all of those things you can go find in the stores Quotes from this book. Yes, the Bible is a book with quite an amazing following, but the, but the Bible also has quite a few enemies. The Bible isn't one of those books that you just like, well, it's, it's okay, or <clears throat> I don't really have an opinion on that book. Pretty much everyone you meet will have some opinion on the Bible, and it's usually, uh, you know, really good, like, oh, I love the Bible, or it's really not, oh, that book has caused so much damage. As Dickens might say, it was the best of books, it was the worst of books, Right? There's no denying that the Bible is an influential book, maybe famous or infamous. As a matter of fact, the word Bible comes from the Greek and the Latin words combined for book. Surprise. It, it is a book, and, and, and you can love this book. And if you love this book like I love this book, it's easy to fall into the trap of just that, that I love this book. Like we can believe that if it's not bound between two pieces of leather, that it's not actually a Bible. Like, like, you know, it's not a real Bible. It's even possible to turn this book, the inspired words of God, into a God of itself, into an idol. The grain of leather becomes our graven image. And and I remember in high school how, how important it was to carry your Bible and your backpack to school with you because then how else would people know how holy you were if a Bible didn't fall out of your backpack. I mean, you could have none of your homework done, but if you had a Bible, right, that, that would all be okay. Now, I'm a, I'm a Bible nerd. 
Um, it's not really my fault, but growing up in a Christian home and going to Bible college, it kind of turned me into like a collector of Bibles. Um, I, I love new books. I love getting new books. I'm not very good at reading all of the books that I buy, um, but I love just the you know, the feel of a new book and the smell of new books. Some of you like the smell of old books, but, um, you know, but, but like just this, this is probably the old, the, the, maybe the oldest Bible that I have. I have a, I have a couple from my mom, but I started counting up this week. How many paper Bibles did I actually have? And I stopped counting at 40 and that's a lot. That's a lot of Bibles. So a couple funny stories about Bibles that I found. I found one that was actually given to my mom um, when she was uh, in her youth group. I don't think they called it a youth group at that time. I think they called it sit in the pews and, you know, watch the preacher, right? Um, but she had, this, uh, she had this one and she had like where she had written her, you know, signed her name in it. And it was just like really, really cool. So I still have that, that copy of the Bible. It's a very like uh, 70s vibe to it on the, you know, like pictures and that sort of stuff, which kind of looks like what people are wearing now, but it's kind of coming back in. I'm hanging on to these things. Uh, my favorite story of one Bible that I found is I have a, I have a, a Bible that's covered in duct tape. Okay. Um, you can still open it, but it's covered like the cover of it is duct tape because I bought it in like the year 2002. And that's what you did with books in 2002. So I covered it with black duct tape. Um, and it was the Bible that I was required to buy for my Acts class. So, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. I took a class just on Acts. It was spread over the course of a year. But the first semester, we had to buy this book. It was a, uh, a New American Standard Bible, NASB. And um, I'd never had an NASB before. And one of the things that's, you know, uh, familiar about an NASB is that all of, the, all of the verses are lined up, like, on the left column. So if you're looking for a verse, you can just go down. One, two, three, four. So it makes it easy to find verses. It, it was really helpful in um, Bible college to where you're, you're studying individual verses and studying the text. But one thing that makes this Bible unique, and the reason I can't throw it away, is if you turn in that Bible to Acts chapter 2, which would have been, like, day three of class, there is a giant oil spot in the middle of the page where my forehead hit the Bible and I fell asleep because it had been a whole week of freshman orientation. I get this new Bible. I decide I'm going to study. I'm going to do it every night. And about night number three, I'm in Acts chapter two, which if, if you know Acts chapter two, it's kind of an important part of the Bible, um, especially, you know, New Testament history. And every time I, I pull down that Bible, I turn to Acts chapter two and it kind of lays open flat there. Cause I think I took a pretty sizable nap on that Bible that night and that oil spot from the fries and the pizza that I'd been eating that week. And so it's just a precious memory. You know, some of you have like, you know, like relatives that have passed away, written, you know, written stuff in your Bibles. I have just an oil spot for my freshman year of college. So that's, uh, that's kind of how crazy, but I, I started counting. I got like 40 some Bibles and, and another story from my, my freshman year of Bible college, we all show up with Bibles, right? And we'd all brought whatever, whatever churches and denominations and backgrounds we came from. Some, some of them brought their King James Bibles. I remember I had one guy in the dorms who brought his family Bible. You guys know what those are, right? I mean, they're like, I was like, dude, you can't take that to class. Like, like, don't show that to anybody. You know, it's got one of those humongous Bibles. And so we all decided we needed to go to the mall and we needed to buy preaching Bibles. Because we're all going to be preachers someday, right? Um, well, here we are. Um, and... And so we went to the mall. Now, we went to a bookstore in the mall. And for anybody under the age of 30, a bookstore is, <laughs> is a building. So imagine this. Imagine Amazon with virtual reality, okay? So you put on the goggles. You go, anyway, we go into, I don't remember what it was, a Lifeway or a Mardell or a, a Bible's Books and Gifts or something like that. We go in and we're all searching for the perfect preaching Bibles. And you may ask, what is the perfect preaching Bible? Um, this is actually the Bible I bought that day. And we were, I mean, we're just like the, ner- I'm sure this happens every, you know, it probably didn't happen anymore, but I'm sure this would happen very often. You know, all these freshmen in Bible college would come into the bookstore and be like, I've got to get a nice preaching Bible or whatever. And this is the one that I found. It's another NASB Bible. Um, it has margins that are really wide on the side because I knew I would be taking tons of notes in this Bible. As you can see, they're mostly blank. Um, Oh, there's some, there's some, I found some. Um, but the thing, here's, here's how you tell a good preaching Bible. If you open up a Bible, you know, there was that old trick where if you open it up, it should open to Psalms, sometimes Isaiah. But if you open up to the Bible and like the pages are like sticking up like a porcupine, that means you don't read it enough, right? 
or you haven't done the exercises with it, right? You haven't bent it backwards and tried to break it, those sort of things. But the real test of a good preaching Bible is to turn to Revelation chapter 22, and because that's where all freshmen in Bible college start preaching from. Um, Revelation chapter 22, get the concordance and the maps and all that. And if you drop it on a pulpit, you got to drop it. It lays flat, right? Flat as the earth. Now that's a joke you can laugh at. I just wanted to make sure we're all, <laughs> I'm sure we're all on the same page here. Um, but it, it would lay flat. And so I found this Bible. I still have it. It's still got no oil stains on this one, but it's still, you know, it's, it's starting to wear out. Here's where I used to stick my pen in there so I could take my notes. But I think, I think that trip to the mall can be a little bit of a metaphor of how we treat this book. Or at least how I treat this book. It's, it's decoration. You know, we had to have, I got my name printed on it with my middle initial. I got my name on there. You know, if you got your name on it, like, like people are going to know that you're serious about this book. It's decoration. It's a filter. It's a bookshelf filler. And I remember around 2007, 2008, when Life Church created the YouVersion app. And I remember like the holy disdain that I had for that app. I was like, you're telling me now that anybody in the world, this sounds really bad, anybody in the world can download the scriptures to their phone and while they're playing Candy Crush, can jump over and read John 3.16 and then go right back to Facebook? Like, you gotta be kidding me. Like that. How will people know how holy we are if everybody can have the word of God in their hands? Like Martin Luther came out of the clouds and just smacked me on the head, right? He's like, this is the whole point of this, to get this book into the hands of the people. And I'm like, I remember just kind of thinking, like, like looking down on it. You know, like I grew up doing the sword drills. And I think Garrett made us do one last week, right? Where you have to have your elbow on your head or something like that. Like, and you have your Bible and you have to go down. And like now anybody can just tell Google or Alexa to like look up a verse. Like how will people know? How, I mean, and now, now I look at the, at the stats and version has been downloaded over 500 million times million times, 500 million times. And at the tap of the button, millions can access the word. How silly was I to think that the printing press would be the end of God's word, right? That this is how it was always going to be. As we start this year of Bible engagement, I really hope that you're, that you're in, in, with this, in with us on this. And if not, I'm hoping to motivate you a little bit today to do that because we're starting today. And uh, we could argue for months. As a matter of fact, we could take a year of Bible like arguments on what translation you should use, and should it be digital? Should it be you know? Should it be in between you know like like in between two pieces of leather? Should you do it in the morning? Should you do it at night? You know, like what? I mean, there's all of these different acronyms that maybe maybe you haven't even heard like KJV and ESV and NIV and CSB and. H-I-J-K, like, like some of them are like, what does that even, what does that stuff even mean? And it's okay if you don't know what that stuff means, because the point of this is not, is not to find the perfect Bible. It's not to have the, the perfect Bible with your name on it and all that sort of stuff. We've got a $10 Bible for sale in the next steps room. That's not like an advertisement. If you don't have a Bible today, if you don't have $10 today, we want you to leave with a Bible. But also, if you don't want to go and talk to anybody in the next steps room, you can get on our free Wi-Fi right now, download the YouVersion app, and with a click of a button, you can have it. No judgment, no judgment there. Here's what I want you to know. As we start the year together, here's what, here's what I'm trying to say. The, the Bible that, that's best for you is the one that you'll read. It's the one that you're going to read. If, if, you, if you crack open a King James Version and you're just like, well, this is what the holy people are supposed to read. And you're like, I don't understand half the words in this. That's not a good Bible. That's not a good Bible for you. The ESV is one of those that's very literal to the text, but it's a 12 plus grade reading level. And if you don't want to sit down at six in the morning with your quiet time and try to, you know, decipher, you know, one of the, one of the harder um, translations to read, then get a CSB or get an NIV or get, you know, something, something that you're going to, maybe you read the, the message Bible, like read something that you will read. The Bible that's best for you is the Bible that you're going to read. You can get our Bible that we have here. You can download a Bible today, but the best Bible is the one that you're going to read. I've got 40 plus Bibles in the paper version. There's probably another one under my seat or somewhere in my car or something like that. But, but, but if I don't read them, 
the Bible isn't the only thing that's going to fall flat on its face, right? Here's what Eugene Peterson would say about engaging the Bible. In his, in his book, Eat This Book, which is uh, reminding us that God, you know, that God wants us to not only just read it, but actually ingest it. It says, having and defending and celebrating the Bible instead of receiving and submitting to and praying the Bible, which is what we're trying to do, mask an enormous amount of non-reading of the Bible. Now, let's not fall so in love with the book, the cover, the art, the numbers, the sales, the influence. Let's not fall so in love with the book that we miss it. This is what God would tell the Israelites pretty early on, 600 years before Jesus would come. This is way before the printing press, way before uh, papyrus and pen are readily available. This is when they're still carving stuff into stone. The prophet Jeremiah spoke these words to the people of God. He said, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So after the exile, he would bring them out. The Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. David would come along and he would write um, the Psalm in Psalm 119. I have treasured your word in my heart that I would not sin against you. And David had access to all the scrolls. David had access to all the text. He had everything that he could, but the point wasn't to get the book. It was to get the book into your heart and into your mind and your soul and your strength. David Platt tells a story of what, what's currently happening with the Bible in Afghanistan. He talks about one of the radical workers that there, I'll just read the story that he told in a message I heard him give a couple months back. He says, one of our radical workers right now is leading a house church network in a very remote region of Afghanistan. This is before the Taliban took over in Afghanistan. So it's probably even worse now. He says, just to give you a perspective when you lay your head on your pillow tonight or when you're reading your Bible freely. This is what's happening among the brothers brothers and sisters. One of them will go out to a cave far off in that village where they have one Bible hidden. They will grab that Bible, smuggle it back into the village where they will gather around by candlelight and read the Bible to one another in the middle of the night. They're doing this overnight. They'll close it up before the sun rises and a designated person will go back out to the cave, bury the Bible and come back and go out through the day. Kind of makes the stack of Bibles that I've had on my night shelf, stack of Bibles in my office, Seem pretty small when it comes to what, what, what they will put into getting this. Don't you find it interesting that the Muslim name for Christians and Jews, it actually comes from their holy book, the Quran, is the people of the book. That's what, they, that's what they would call Christians, among other things, but that's what they would call Christians, the people of the book. But no one is doing that for just a regular book. No one's going out at midnight and, you know, uncovering a copy of the Lord of the Rings so they can have a Bible study by candlelight overnight. No one's doing that for a book. It truly is a book, but it's only been bound for a little over 500 years. You see, God's intention is not for 10 out of 10 households to have a Bible in the household but for us to truly read it and ingest it and to live it. Not people who have a book, but truly people of the book. And yes, the Bible is an amazing book, but we don't worship a book. So, so don't fall so in love with the book. We love the book. We love the Bible. We sing songs about the Bible. I'm not going to sing songs because we did that the last like five weeks, and that's not me. But we love the Bible. And we love the book, but don't fall so in love with the book that you miss the story. The Bible is a story. It's a story. Now, we all know the difference between a story and a book. You've started reading a book that you thought was a story, and you're like, this is not a story. This is just a book. (laughs) Or you've started reading a book that actually turns into a story. It inspires you. It draws you in. Every college student in here, every college student that can hear me knows the difference between a book and and a story, right? Because you've been asked to buy a bunch of books for next semester. And they're super expensive and they can be super helpful. But the Bible is a story. It's more than a book. It's not a text that's dry and just packed with data and theories. Things you'll have to memorize or cram for a test. Words that seem to have no inspiration or passion. They're just books. 
And books are important. Books are vital. Books are expensive. But books can be changed. Books can be reprinted. Books can be retranslated. Books can be re, uh, repurposed. Books can be burnt. Stories are different. Stories live on. You know, if you take the religious text off of the top bestsellers, if you remove the Bible and you remove the Quran and you remove the Book of Mormon, you remove all of the religious text and you get down to the best-selling books of all time, they're all these epic stories that we know and love. Now, many of these have been made into movies, which I'm glad for because I wouldn't know they existed if that weren't the case. Um, I got a lot of Bibles to read, right? So, so, so but there are these epic stories. We're talking Lord of the Rings, Tale of Two Cities. We're talking, um, you know, Chronicles of Narnia, all of these amazing books and stories that, that, that bring something different than just a book. They're written with different, in different times and well-documented, developed characters, plot twists and flashbacks and foreshadowing. They're, they're not just mere books. These are amazing stories. They can be remade into movies. They can just be told when you're, when you're just telling the stories. Like, um, you know, if, if you don't have a copy of one of your favorite stories to read to your kids, you could probably come up with it because you've, you've, you've learned it and you've heard it so many times. The earliest scriptures were not bound like this. Okay? Moses wasn't carrying around in his backpack the NASB version of the scriptures, right? Well, they were carrying some stone tablets, but the stories of scriptures lived in the people. The oral traditions where they were passing them down to their children. The Israelites were commanded to teach their children. Most Jewish boys would have memorized what we know as the first five books of the Old Testament before they were 16 years old. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And if you've never read through those books before, you probably don't understand how hard that is. But this is what they, they weren't memorizing verses and chapters and books. They were memorizing stories. This was the story of the Hebrew people. This was the story of how they were delivered from slavery, how God had protected them, how he provided manna for them and how he, how he watched over them. A pillar by night and a cloud by day. These were the stories. See, the Bible is actually a whole collection of stories. Amazingly, it's thousands of stories. Think of your favorite story. It's thousands of those woven into one. It's thousands of stories telling one story. And as we go through this year together, it, it's going to get hard in the next like couple months. <laughs> It's the, the beginning, it's not one of those where you're just like, oh, I'm in. Like, it, it starts pretty cool. Like, God creates everything. That's fun. And then you get to read about him doing that again. That's also fun. And then some cool stuff happens with a Tower of Babel and Noah and all, like all of this, all the stories that we grew up with. But then you get into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and you feel like you're reading the same thing over and over again. And you're like, why do I need this? Where's Jesus? He's coming. Well, he's there. Just remember this, there's, there's one common thread sewing all of this together. And our year-long Bible reading plan is submitted by these awesome videos made by the Bible Project, um, kind of up in northwest uh, U.S. Um, our our year-long plan is going to be supplemented by these programs. If you don't have one of the, um, one of the bookmarks or seen online where this, these, these are all linked together. They're super easy to find. You can watch them on YouTube or the Bible Project website. But just to give you a little bit of a taste of what you're jumping into, um, I want to watch one of those, we're watch one of those videos this morning. And actually, if you're thinking, man, I just don't have time this week to do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a head start. Because this is one of the videos you're supposed to watch this week. This week, for Tuesday, we're going to watch a video called The Story of God. So let's get a jump start on our year of Bible engagement by watching this short video, The Story of God. It'll be on the screen. Yeah, it's a collection of many books written over a long period of time, but altogether they tell one unified story. So, what's the story of the Bible? Well, it begins by introducing us to a beautiful mind, the author of all reality, a being called God. And he has the power to take the dark chaos of the uncreated world and bring about order and beauty and a garden full of life. And to crown this accomplishment, God appoints these creatures called humanity. Or in Hebrew, Adam. And they're made as God's image. Which means that they're commissioned to rule this beautiful world on God's behalf by harnessing all of its potential and creating even more beauty and order. This is a story about humans using their power to do meaningful, life-giving work. But the question is... 
How? Yeah, humanity now faces a choice that's represented by a fruit tree. So humans could partner with God and find freedom by trusting in his knowledge of good and evil. Or they could seize power and define good and evil on their own, which, God warns, will kill them. And they hear the voice of a dark, mysterious creature that tells them the choice is simple. Take the fruit. It'll give you power and freedom to rule the world on your own terms. And so they seize this knowledge, and as a result, they become suspicious and self-protective. It leads to fractured relationships, violent power grabs, and ultimately, a whole civilization, Babylon, that has redefined evil as good. And so, God scatters this corrupted human project. And here the story of the Bible takes an important turn. We zoom in to the story of a man and a woman who come out of Babylon, Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, God promises that from them will come a new people, a nation that has another chance to make the right choice. And if they succeed, it will open up this new way forward for the rest of humanity. And this is why the rest of the Bible story is about this family. And it does not go well. Despite God's personal guidance, Abraham's family gives in to that same temptation to redefine good and evil on their own terms, apart from God. Even when their best people were in charge, rulers who loved God's guidance and had divine wisdom, even they gave in. And so Israel was warned by their own prophets that these choices would lead them back to Babylon, this time as conquered captives living in exile, and that's exactly what happened. So even with God's personal guidance, Israel fails. Who can succeed? Well, the prophet said that the story wasn't over. God's going to send a new leader to Israel to cover for their failures and to transform the people's hearts and minds so that they can make the right choice. And so the part of the Bible called the Old Testament ends, and these promises are left hanging. And then the biblical story continues into the New Testament. We're introduced to a man who comes from the line of Israel's kings, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said that he was bringing all these promises to their completion. He confronted that dark, mysterious evil that all humanity has given into and resisted its power. And then he announced that God had arrived to rule the world through himself. Jesus taught about God's definition of good and evil, and he said that real power is serving others. According to Jesus, it's people who love the poor and even love their enemies. These are the kinds of people who actually rule the world. And that's confusing, but also really beautiful. And so is the claim that the story goes on to make about Jesus, that he is God become human, to be for Israel and for all humanity what we could never be for ourselves. He came to take the consequences of our evil into himself, and his sacrificial love proved more powerful than evil than even death itself. So now humanity is presented with a new choice. Represented by a new tree. Stick with the old way of being human, or venture into this new way. And in the story, those who choose the way of Jesus find themselves energized by God's own power. People who know that they are loved and forgiven by God can become people who love and forgive others in return. The Jesus movement quickly spread throughout the world, forming these new communities of people who follow the way of Jesus. But they faced problems. There was persecution from the outside by people in power, and inside there was confusion, even compromise. Yeah, because following Jesus is really hard. And so the movement's leaders, called apostles, they wrote letters to comfort and to challenge these communities to stay faithful to the difficult way of Jesus. And they're called to hope for the day when Jesus will come and change everything. And so the Bible ends by pointing to the future day, when all wrongs are made right, when evil is eradicated, heaven and earth are united, and humanity can rule the world together in the love and power of God. Okay, so that's the story of the Bible, and it brings all of these books together. But what's interesting is that each book contains a different kind of literature that contributes to the story in a unique way, and that's what the next video will begin to explore. It's pretty amazing videos, and they have hundreds of them that we're going to be walking through with the scriptures of. So every day we're asking you to read. Um, read the daily Bible reading. It's two or three chapters, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. Um, we're asking you to watch one of these videos if there's one to accompany the day's reading, to pray through a psalm. By the end, we'll pray through the psalms two and a half times. 
um, obviously to, to, to share and to listen, listen to these messages and the monthly lectures we're going to do, and then to share it in a small group together. That's the year of Bible engagement. I know some of you watch that video and you're like, yeah, that's great. I, I feel like I probably need to show that to my kids because it's very interactive. It's very, you know, very good animation. They're going to love that sort of thing. But, but I kind of knew that. I kind of already understood that stuff. So, um, I mean, and you don't have to watch it again on Tuesday. So if you don't want to watch a rerun, that's fine. But, but I, don't know, I don't know about you, but to me, to see it visualized and to see um, kind of the explanation. There's so many out of hundreds of videos. I promise you that you're going to, you're going to learn. This is one of the, you know, this is one of the basic videos um, as we just get started. But it's going to help us as we move forward explaining those literary styles and explaining the things that we're going into. But there is one caveat that we need to all be on the same page with, you know pun intended, but we all need to be together with um, when, we, when we go through this. One thing that we need to remember when we think about the story of God is that it's just that. I mean, you read just a, a sentence into the Bible and you're going to understand who the story is about. Not to spoil anything, but the first sentence is, in the beginning, God. It's not, hey, do you want to go on an adventure? It's in the beginning, God, and it sets, it sets up our focus from the very beginning. Here's what we have to remember when we open our Bibles every single day, is that the story of the Bible is for you, but it's not about you. And that's not something we say very often. Like, is the Bible for me? Absolutely. Is the Bible about me? Probably. Because isn't everything, Right? Isn't everything? It's a huge distinction between the two. I remember growing up, I wanted to put myself in the epic stories of, of any story I would hear, any epic story of the Bible or any movie I was watching. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to save the day. I wanted to save the galaxy or the princess from the dragon, or I wanted to free Willie from whatever was happening in that movie, right? I wanted, I wanted to be in the center of the story and the hero. And when we read the Bible... It's, it's a common thing for us to want to be in the center. It's a common perception that we get into these stories and we're like, well, that's got to be me and that's got to be my job and that's got to be directly for me. I remember in Bible college, they described it as a, as a bridge that has to be crossed from the biblical world and the author's intended meaning. There's a bridge that we have to cross called the hermeneutical bridge. It's just the translative bridge to where it was written in Greek and Hebrew. And we need to take that culture, that writing, all of that. And we got to cross this bridge and it's flowing under that bridge is a lot of stuff. It's culture. It's years and years of, of, of honor and shame. It's all of this stuff flowing together. And we come across this bridge. It's not just like we time travel back into the time and we open the book and go, oh, this is, this is all about me. Because it's not about us, but it's for us. It's the, uh, uh, the book, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. E. Randolph Richards and um, Brandon J. O'Brien call this a cultural assumption of the supremacy of me. It's a mouthful. The cultural assumption of the supremacy of me. I'm in the middle of the story. They would suggest it's our biggest blind spot when we read the Bible. When we come to the Bible, we're not, we're not Middle Eastern. We're not from that area where it, where it originated. We're not from the original author's uh, intended meaning. We're not from 2,000 plus years ago. He, they suggest it's our biggest blind spot. We want to be David. We want our problems to be Goliath. That's the easy way to view the scripture. I think it was Matt Chandler that once said, like, if you're David and your problems are Goliath, you miss. (laughs) I'm not good with a slingshot, right? You miss. And you're like, well, I've got five stones. And he would say, you miss every time. That's the point of the Bible is that we miss. We need a savior. You know, we, we want to be Daniel and we want our cubicle or our workplace to be the lion's den. We want to be Esther and everything that comes up against us to be Haman. We could go on. We want Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and make everything great for your life. We want that to be directly about us. We want Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ to be about weightlifting and winning football games, right? But the Bible isn't about us. We want, we, we want to put ourselves, and I like being the hero of the story. They say in the book, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, we rightly search for the center of God's will but with the unspoken assumption that once we find it, the seat will have my individual name on it. We have hundreds of years of cultural reinforcement driving us to read the Bible with ourselves at the center. It's because our culture tells us to put ourselves at the center of everything. And if you can't be put first, you don't need to be a part of that crowd. I like to put myself in the middle of the story. 
I like to be the hero. The problem with the Bible is that there's only room for one hero, and it's not me. See, it's, it's his story. It's to reveal, reveal his glory where his son is made the hero. And we're in desperate need of saving. The story of the Bible is for you. It's for us, but it's not about us. And numerous texts in the Bible back this up. Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. The whole world declares what? The glory of God. Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness. What for? For his name's sake, for the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 3, we are created for God's glory. John chapter 7, verse 18, we, Jesus sought the glory of the Father. Even Jesus, who was God, sought the glory of the Father. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to go do good works. But why does he say to do them? He says, do works so that people will see them and glorify who? Not you for your good works, but to glorify your Father in heaven. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. God chose us. He predestined and adopted us to the praise of his glory. You catching the theme here? Romans chapter 1. Even our sin is exchanging the glory of God for idols. And so where does that leave us? David Platt says in his book, Radical that we are selfless followers of a self-centered God. And that's not a bad thing. On and on we're reminded of God's amazing story. That this is the God's story for God's glory. And so this year as we jump into the text and we remember that it's not about me and it's not about us. it's It's all about him and his glory and giving him more glory. I want to try to read the Bible with that lens and that lens only. Not did I, did I read the Bible in 51 weeks? Yeah, I said 51. You have a week off. You can take that now, but I wouldn't recommend it. 51 weeks. We're going to get done early. It's not, I can read the Bible in 51 weeks, or I can beat the game, or I can ace the test. It's not what this is about. If you miss a day, that's okay. Join us on the next day. That's all right. Because the point is not, did you make it? The point is not, did you ace it? Did you get 10 out of 10 or 100 out of 100? Here's the point when you're reading the Bible. Did I see the glory of God in the story I read today? Did I find it? Even when you're reading the boring parts of the Old Testament, did I see the glory of God? What is God doing in this story? And in turn, how do we cross that bridge? How do we cross that hermeneutical bridge? On the other side of the bridge is this question. Can I see the glory of God in the story that I'm living today? How does that text, that ancient text, that ancient book and ancient story, how does it come across the bridge and affect me today? It's not about me, but it's for me. One of my favorite movies growing up, me and my brother wore this movie out in our VHS tape version of it. I think that might have been the rewinder that we had on the top of the TV. You guys remember that thing? It was like it was going to take off and it just popped up. And we could watch it again, but it's a movie called The NeverEnding Story, released in 1984. An epic tale, right? I don't know if it was ever a book because I never found the book. Maybe it was, um, but if you, if you don't know about the movie, I'm going to spoil it for you, but it's 40 years old, so that's on you, not on me, okay? So <clears throat> the never-ending story was a story about a young boy named Bastian. If you've ever met a kid named Bastian, Falcor, uh, Moonshine, Moonsong, or Atreyu, it came from this movie, okay? So if you wonder where those are, a lot of metal bands named after these things too. Um, but, but this is epic story of this boy named Bastian. And he is getting bullied and runs to hide from the bullies in a bookstore. That's a life lesson right there, right? Bullies will not follow you (laughs) into a bookstore, okay? He finds himself in this bookstore. He happens on this book called The NeverEnding Story. It's this awesome looking, I mean, I always wanted one of those little medallions with the curled up snakes on it on my Bible. I thought that'd be sacrilegious, but I don't think that's the point of the Bible either. But it looks so cool. He finds this book. Um, The book owner says, I wouldn't read that book. It's not safe like the other books. So of course he steals it and goes and reads it overnight um, in a thunderstorm, whatever. But uh, he starts to read this book. And in this book is this epic story of a boy named Atreyu. A boy named Atreyu is trying to save the land of Fantasia from the nothing. Another great metal band name, the nothing, right? 
He's trying to save the letter. And then there's this empress who all she does is like sits on a throne and yells a lot. So you can fast forward to those parts. I don't know what power she has as an empress, but it doesn't seem like a lot because everything's crumbling around her. And Atreyu is just trying his best to save Fantasia. And she just sits there. I don't know if that, what that says or whatever, but it always confused me. I was like, get up, stand up. Maybe she couldn't. I don't know. Um, but, but she's, she's there. Atreyu's trying to save everything and he's got his trusted horse, Rest in peace, no spoilers. Um, but all of this plays out in this huge epic story. There's a flying dog. I mean, if you weren't in already, there's a huge flying dog. Um, I'm getting a little confused on the details, but it's been a while. At the end of the movie, the climax of the movie, you've got the empress doing what she does, sitting. And then you've got Atreyu who has actually failed at his mission. Okay. He, everything is falling apart. I guess the nothing is falling apart. It's tearing apart Fantasia. And the empress says, she finally says that there is one way that this whole thing can be made, made new. That the nothing could go away. And that there's a human child who is a part of this story. A human child that all he has to do is fulfill the prophecy, say the name, and everything will go on. This human child. Do you know what this human child's name was? Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. <laughs> that, that'd be great. Um, no, but it was, it was Bastion. And the whole time he's reading this story, he's not realizing he's part of the, the solution. He's part of the story. The story's calling and she starts yelling, just say, give me a new name. That's what he has to do. He has to name her, but he's just completely denying the whole time he's reading this book. He's just like, no, this is just a stupid book. I've just been reading this all night. And then the lightning in the, in the story starts to line up with the lightning outside. And he jumps up and he closes the window and he hides. And he keeps reading page after page. He's realizing that this is not just some story, that this is, this is inviting him in. And so at the end, he shouts out her name. He saves the day. The flying dog goes and terrorizes the bully kids. It's a pretty awesome, epic sort of a thing. So... If you were looking for something to watch today, I'd watch something else. Um, <laughs> maybe Spider-Man. I don't know. Watch something else. Um, where was I? Now, okay. We're about, to, we're about to go on a journey. And you might have seen in your life, you might have seen the Bible as just that, a never-ending story. Man, there is so much in this book. It's so heavy. It's boring at times. I know kind of the just, the just of what's in it. Like, I kind of get it. Do I really have to spend every day in the Word? Do I ever have to learn more about this book? It just seems like a never-ending story. But what we realize is that it's not just a book. It's not just a story. The Bible is an invitation. Now, again, you're not the bastion in the story. That's where the metaphor breaks down. I don't think that movie was about the Bible, but the, 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 you're not Bastion. You're not saving the day. You're not the missing piece that can save the world, but we're invited into this story, this never-ending story. You call It calls to us to participate, to walk, to live, and to follow in its lighted path. I'm going to give you three invitations that you're going to see as you start to engage the Bible. The first one is this. It's an invitation to rest from religion. And religion can take all different forms. There's like the world religions. We talk about those. There's Christianity and Islam. And there's all these world religions. But religion can, can look like different things, different lifestyles. Jesus said himself, come to me. If you're weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I'm not going to give you another list of things to do. I'm not going to give you another. Uh, I'm not going to invite you into more work. I'm going to invite you into a kingdom. I'm going to invite you into love and to mercy and forgiveness. Maybe for you, your religion is pretending like everything is okay. In a year like 2021, that was kind of hard to do. But people like me, we did a pretty good job. Oh, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. Thanks for asking. When we know that everything is just the nothing, right? <laughs> I mean, everything seems to be tearing apart and falling apart. It's, it's this invitation for Jesus to say, come and rest. Jesus says, come and rest. And, and maybe your religion is a divided culture where you wake up every morning and you watch the news or you see what comes across the feed and you're like, okay, which side of this am I supposed to be on? I got to know. I got to know which side. Am I supposed to be left of this or right of this? Am I supposed to have an opinion on this? Was I supposed to wake up this morning? Because it kind of feels like I wasn't. Jesus says, come and rest. 
Maybe it's the religion of hustle where you have to grind every single turn and every single thing you do has to be a side job or a pursuit of more happiness or money or bigger. Jesus says, come and rest. Maybe it's the religion of self-preservation. Self-preservation where you live a life paranoid that someone might actually find out who you really are. Jesus says, come to mercy, come to forgiveness, come like the the, the prodigal son came home and his father wrapped his arms around him and didn't ask him questions about where he'd been, didn't ask him questions about what he'd done. He just said, you're home. It's a rest. Jesus says, come and rest. This book, it's a story, it's an invitation to see the glory of God, a glory that is so big that even the things that seem the biggest in our world, we can rest because we're not the hero. And we really mess things up when we try to be. Invitation number two, an invitation to follow Jesus. If we miss this invitation, I've wasted about 30, uh, closer to 40 minutes up here today. And you'll waste 51 weeks. The deep hurt and brokenness caused by sin in our world is met with a savior. He asked the fishermen to come and to follow him and to be like him, to be his followers. And when the thousands came... The the droves came out and they came for the food and they came for the miracles. They came for the show. But then when they left, there were only a handful there to seek out that invitation to follow Jesus. They came and they sat at his feet. They leaned into every word. And then he, in the book of Acts, at the end 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 of Matthew, in the book of Acts, he sends them out to set the world on fire. Not literally. He sends them out to turn the world upside down. We are here because a few men and women decided to take these words from this book, from this story, as an invitation. Not just a book to be read or a story to memorize and to love. The Bible is an invitation to follow Jesus. And then finally, the Bible is an invitation to be truly seen. Once in your life to be, to be truly seen and known for who you are. Like, how's that, how's that going to work? You've probably heard this verse before. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's hard to see a living and active word when I've just got stacks and stacks of them. But it's living and active. It's not just a book. It's not just a story. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all who are naked and all who are all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. I know from experience, one of the most humiliating things is to sit on the table before surgery And to have them pull back that gown, why can't they make those bigger, right? (laughs) To pull that gown to the side and they start marking you up for surgery. They start, they take a Sharpie and they write here and it's like not this side, but this side. And they start one of the most humiliating things. And I go to a lot of doctor's appointments and a lot of kind of embarrassing things, but it's pretty humiliating to be sitting there kind of, kind of bare. It's always cold. Why has it got to be so cold? Come on, people. (laughs) And, And you sit there and you're just like, this is, this is so like, an invasion. <laughs> this is so weird. I don't like this. Can you stop drawing on me? I have a seven-year-old. He does that plenty to my face, right? Can, can we not do this? This is embarrassing. This is the closest I will be in, in public to, to just completely bare and laid open. And they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to cut here and we're going to go in here and we're going to suction here and we're going to remove here. When you start to realize sitting on that table that, that the humiliation that's there for a surgeon to mark up your body pales into comparison to the pain of the cancer that's growing inside of you. And four hours later after a surgery where you, where you give up humility, you give up your dignity, you give up your rights, and you're just like, okay, do what you got to do. And you realize that your life is actually being saved when you're being laid bare like that. See, the Bible is an invite to truly be seen, like no one has ever seen you before. It's one of the things we long for the most, but we're terrified of the most as well, is for for someone to know us 100%, for someone to see us 100%. And what this verse tells us is that the word of God doesn't just sit there and wait for you to read it, that the word of God is reading you. That the word of God examines me 
That the word of God, like a Thanksgiving turkey, splits me wide open and I can see absolutely everything. And, and nothing is left unnoticed. But like the surgeon who goes and he removes the tumor. He removes the selfishness. He removes the sin. He rem- starts to remove the things that you didn't even know were there. You would rather just stay covered up. The Bible is an invite to be truly seen. And so this year, January 2022, we're not reading the Bible. We're not reading a book. We're not just memorizing a story. We are invited to be truly seen by a living and active document that wants to scan us and see our faults and see our our sins and our shortcomings and our worries. The Bible is an invitation to be truly seen. But will you accept the invitation? Will you take this book and read this story and allow this book to read you? Will you hear the call from this book that says, come inside? Will you join the people of God as we read the word of God and do the work of God all for the glory of God? If you'd like more info on the year of Bible engagement, I hope you'll join us. We have a lot more information in the Next Steps room. If you don't want to talk to people today, totally get it. Just jump on our website, northsidechristianchurch.net slash YBE, year of Bible engagement. You can find all of it. We're starting today, Genesis chapters one through three. I hope you join us on this journey. If you would like to give to the ministry of Northside to make all of this possible, if you'd like to give, um, we have the options as you walk out of these doors. We've got boxes all around all of the doors. You can also go to northsidechristianchurch.net and find our giving link there. You can give online. You can text to give. Make that as easy as possible. If you'd like to talk about what it means to truly follow Jesus, to be invited into that, to truly follow Jesus. If you're online, you go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. Fill out a quick little form there. You can do that if you're in the room here as well. One of our ministers will be in touch with you about that decision you've made. Or at the end, when we're singing together, Corey will instruct you. I'll be right outside these double doors at our decision point area. If you'd like to talk about what that means. Northside, 2022 is not 2020 you, but it's for the glory of God. And we're going to read it, and we're going to do it, and we're going to do it together. So let's continue in worship in Him as we prepare our hearts for communion. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.